Halfcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Eddie Webb. Hello. And Matthew Dawkins. Hello there. This is part three of our super exciting 250th episode extravaganza mailbag. At this point, I'm wondering why we even bother with topics. We could just keep doing this. I mean, yeah, I could just open the form back up at any point if I really wanted to. Mm. Uh, So let us know in the Discord if you have more questions you want to ask. We're happy to do this again. Probably not next week because we should, you know, talk about games. (laughs) It just becomes the Um, bat uh, mailbag. It's all this is anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to make the need for the Discord and the blog obsolete as long as people wait one one week for answers (laughs) or up to three and a half weeks since we're only now getting to some questions from uh, late February. I like the idea. Let's remove social media entirely and just have everything <laughs> have everything channeled via one point. The Onyx Pathcast. And it's our, a our streamlining. Slow we are streamlining <laughs> our what would it be called? Digital footprint. Do you do you think our listenership would go up? No, I think it will go down. <laughs> uh, and maybe that's my secret objective. <laughs> you're trying to get rid of this part of your job. <laughs> but Matthew, if you got rid of the Onyx Pathcast, where would you be able to talk about Neil Breen? I, I mean, I think that Matthew talks about Neil Breen every day in his everyday life. I think, <laughs> I think, I think he goes to the shop and he's like, I need some coffee. And this oh, is a weird Neil Breen thing. I don't tell people about Neil Breen. I act like Neil Breen. So when yeah, I go yeah. to the shop and buy a loaf of bread or, uh, or a liter of milk, I'll say, I want this milk. I want this milk. And I should not have taken a sip of water right there. And <laughs> the really person bad. behind the counter will stare at me blankly because they're just as bad an actor as I am. And will say, that's £1.25. <laughs> and I'll say, £1.25? Isn't that corrupt? <laughs> Isn't that immoral? <laughs> Isn't that abusing the people's trust? <laughs> Thank you, and then I'd pay for it. Your Neil Breen is too good. I can't. (laughs) I can't get over how good it is. It's uh, like I just, just, like I can see you doing this, even though I know you wouldn't, because you're a nice person. He has a. I know Neil Breen is apparently at some point. Rich is going to tell us off for constantly talking about Neil Breen. So I doubt uh, it. I doubt it. Go ahead, Rich. Um, (laughs) So this will be my last, my last Breen point. Uh, for for the time for, being, I was gonna say for like this episode, right? Because I I think Breen points should be like a an ongoing <laughs> a segment. segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll I'll introduce two Breen points. One is the strange emphasis of a word generally in the middle of a sentence, and te- tending not to be the word most people would emphasize, is a really interesting way of communicating and I would be interested to see if Neil Breen speaks that way when he's not acting or if that is his acting voice. This is basically when I'm performing, I'm performing (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just backwards but the other Breen point for today and it's Mm. something that's been racking my brain uh, for, for a while now is Yes, there's the mystery of what happens to all the actors who are in his movies, and I say <laughs> right? actors in a very generous, as a very generous descriptor. Uh, they, yeah, they they don't grant interviews as we covered last week, and uh, we assume they're probably under NDAs or threat of death. But <laughs> what is fascinating to me 
is that Neil Breen must recruit these people. And the natural place to recruit actors is from a drama department at, let's say, the Nevada State University or wherever uh, Twisted Fetish right. filmed. Why? It's surely, even if I went to a role-playing club, so people who aren't actors but occasionally put on a silly voice, if I went to a role-playing club, I think that out of the 25 people playing five tables there, at least two of them, and I'm being pretty damn conservative here, no, at least two of them would be able to pretend to act. I think, without any drama training, really, that I or Eddie or Dixie, who I know has had dramatic training, I think any of us... Yes, I am a serious actor! Indeed. Uh, I believe any of us could appear in an Neil Breen movie and do a far better job of any of the actors than any of the actors that actually appear, which really confuses me that you can have a supporting cast of 20 to 30 people and seriously not one of them can act. Yeah, I I did run across, um, there was a podcast at some point where they did interview, I think, the lead actress from Pass Through. Mm. And apparently she had some weird tidbits to talk about, (laughs) about his, like, process. But yeah, apparently he does, like, make them sign in the ace or something. He Mm. he doesn't want anyone to talk about his movies except him and the Onyx Pathcast, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Which is a satirical joke that I am making so I don't get in (laughs) podcast legal trouble. Allegedly. 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 Uh, Yes, I have also heard, I think it must have been from that same singular interview, that for all the people that say he's clearly making parodies, it's, you know, some deep cut of comedy. A lot of people on places like Reddit. I I don't uh, think that's accurate. They think this is all just a long joke. But apparently on set, he's a bit mean (laughs) he he clearly has an artistic vision and Mm -hmm. if someone isn't going along with his direction or the words he's written down he is a an asshole uh so and that kind of tells me not that you have to be light-hearted to do comedy that comedy is made in a serious manner quite often but it tells me that he is taking this thing seriously but then that begs the question why can not one of these people act? Where are they recruited from, if not a drama department? Well, I mean, honestly, I feel like the kind of recruiting he would do for movies and stuff is the kind of recruiting you would do through, like, Craigslist. Like, I don't I don't know that he's recruiting through a drama department, because I feel like actual actors would look at, like, any of his work and be like, nah, See, I, I don't want to be in that. I get that. He is probably going on Craigslist, but I still think that the law of averages would dictate that at least one person to appear in one of his movies could act a little. Unless they're seriously being directed to act that badly. And even then, you think that their natural ability might shine through a little, but so far there have been zero supporting cast in a Neil Breen movie that has actually seemed believable. In I don't know the like the like drug addict girlfriend was all right. I Uh... thought. (laughs) I I will point out that if you hire people who aren't actors, they're less likely to be in a union, and therefore you can pay them less. Yes, I imagine that is definitely a part of it. Also, like if he's in Vegas, it's not like there aren't places for actors to get work in vegas mm, sure. so i feel like the out-of-work actors in a an, an entertainment forward town might uh be the worst of the bunch because like 
if I was an aspiring actor, first of all, I wouldn't live in Vegas. It's a terrible place to get an acting career off the ground. Um, but like, I would make more money as a cocktail waitress just being nice to people and pretending like I liked them right. than I would being in a Neil Breen movie. Mm. And especially, like I said, if you've heard any of these stories or if you've like seen anything, like I, I don't know anything about the, the process. Obviously, I don't you know live in Vegas or anything. Um, but I, I, I would be surprised if if he ever has hired a serious actor, they have walked off the set because. <laughs> hmm. right. I think I would, unless I like knew about the culty brain stuff and was there doing it as a joke. Yeah. In which case, I think he would probably pick up on that. Yeah. And, and say, I don't want like, your mockery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's, it's funny you mentioned the whole walking into a gaming club thing, because um, just a couple days ago, um, uh, there's a friend of mine who lives here in London who I've been playing in the uh, Camarillo fan club with mm. for a long time like like um he and i both went to uh, a big live action event in 2001 in la um and he was telling me that uh, uh there was a moment where he was sitting down and talking with someone who may or may not be a voice actor who currently works for critical role mm. uh who was like listened to his voice and he was they were talking about just different accents and he was going he was going through the different kind of regional accents of of, of of the uk and he was like do you want some work because we're filming helsing or recording the voices for helsing like right down the road <laughs> <You know? laughs> um and he's like no i actually am trying to get my degree i don't have time to become a voice actor um but i mean like it, it's not uncommon for that kind of stuff to happen <laughs> in tabletop I mean, playing games. Yeah, yeah, we we talk about that all the time in like TTRPs, especially like that's such just how you you know like net networking became really hard when cons ceased to be an in person thing for a while there. Yeah, because that tends to be how you meet people in our industry. It's right. not ideal. I don't love it, but it's how things have been happening for a long time, and I think it's the nature of it being a hobbyist industry. Yeah um right and a lot of people are like oh well it's, it's, it's a hobby so we'll go to the fun place the convention and it'll be a hobby and we'll have some drinks and talk about our hobbies and then we can get work based on our hobbies and for the people who are like this is a full-time job we're like but can you just look at my resume <laughs> right like can, can you just give me work based on the quality of my other work it's that's a really interesting thing about this industry is that uh, yeah the vast majority of people who are in it who are in it are role players of course mm -hmm. you know it, we joke well they're certainly not in it for the money <laughs> but like Tens i think the, dollars. i think but, the only people who are in it who aren't role players tend to be like artists yeah i feel yeah. like the rest of us are almost all like have some experience with role playing well except right. uh, i'm sometimes quite stunned that I, I know some of our colleagues whether writers artists or other uh, haven't role played for decades you know they like role playing games and yet they don't role play they don't run games, they don't play games. But they identify as role players still, which is interesting. Yeah, and, and that's something I've only really recently come around to, I suppose, accepting. It's not that I had a prejudice against it, it's just that I was... <laughs> I will allow you to do this. Yeah, no, it was just that I was, I suppose, confused by it. And it right. was one of the blog posts Rich made, he was talking about how some people will buy our books just to read them. And I know mm -hmm. that when I used to buy Vampire the Masquerade books by the ton, uh, I wasn't going to use all of the content in all of them. I was buying them because I was reading them. And even if I wasn't playing Vampire, I probably would have still bought them because I enjoyed mm -hmm. the writing. And so 
somehow that I think that slipped away from my my awareness of this industry and this hobby that some people just like the games but don't yeah. necessarily engage with them on the player or story guide or GM level. Yeah, and I mean part of that is that we've always, you know, joked about the incredible difficulty in finding a group to play with. Yeah. Like I think that that's a little better with start playing and stuff like that. But even then I, I know a lot of folks that want to play with strangers, you know? Yeah, like yeah. I've I've never been super interested in playing at like conventions and stuff because I'd rather play with people I know. Um yeah. there are exceptions to that, as, as, especially when you're representing a company, right? But if I'm like signing up to play a game for fun, especially if it's gonna be like a horror game or something with more challenging themes, I'd rather play it with people that I trust mm-hmm. and not random people, because we've all heard the horror stories. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it's the same kind of uh, dilemma that comes up with dating. You know, uh, right? the, people used to be told, you don't really hear about it so much now, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the internet, that you go to a bar, you go up to someone who you like the look of, or and you buy them a drink, or offer them a drink, or ask them to dance, or something like that. That sounds horribly retro now, and completely out of sorts. And of course... People, some people, perfectly confident to do just that thing. The vast majority, I would argue, probably are not because they don't want to risk the embarrassment of mm-hmm. being declined, insulted, um, being told that they're uh, being maybe because they don't know how to communicate their intentions. They may be inadvertently insulting, uh, and I think that that same anxiety does afflict some role players who would really like to play games, but as you say, mm-hmm. don't want to play with strangers. They don't want to potentially embarrass themselves at the table or find that they're in a group that they simply don't like. Because yeah. it isn't always that there's a fear of how the other person views you. It's that I'm kind of forming an informal contract with this person that I'm going to st- spend right. time in their company and I may grow to detest that company. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's that's what's so interesting. Like, and I, I do want to get to questions soon, but we only have a few left, so it's not that big of a deal that we're talking for so long. Um, my, my D&D, that is now a Pugmire group, um, they're all technically kind of related in that it's two cousins and their partners, mm. right? Mm. Um, so they're, they're all part of the same family. Even the, even if it's by marriage, um, I am the only outsider in the group who is you just control part of the, over them all. Well, now I do. I didn't before when I was playing Jane, uh, but now like I am, I'm running this game, and I am both only there by virtue of being the upstairs neighbor of one of the couples, and also I am, I think, eight years older than the next oldest one, mm-hmm. oh, and wow. t- ten years older than the youngest one, um, which is interesting, and also. I'm the only extrovert, <laughs> oh, which geez. I don't think about aside from the fact that it came up in game the other day because we were, I, I was role playing where one of the characters, uh, like one cat character had infiltrated a cat only party kind of, mm-hmm. and the other three who are not cats were all masquerading as his servants. So they really couldn't like join in the conversations as easily. Right. And the one who was playing the cat, I was like, yeah, you can join this like conversation and literally out of, out of, you know character they were like how and i'm like oh you've never just walked up to a conversation (laughs) about a thing that you know something about or care about and just inserted yourself whereas i'm 
completely comfortable doing that in mm. certain settings. Like if I'm at a convention right. and I'm at a bar, for instance, and I'm standing near some people who are talking about, I don't know, Trinity or Sailor Moon or fashion or something else that I'm into, I will very happily just like get my little drink and like side up to them and be like, couldn't help it over here, but I'm super into this thing. Yeah. Right. And they have like, that's terrifying to all my yeah. friends. They're like, I would never do that. And I'm like, Oh, so literally I had to have a tiny little crash course on like how to extrovert because they, <laughs> they had they had no concept. Yeah, and yeah. that's not a, a bad thing. It's just like no, a thing that great. I would never think about because I have been in, you know, I started going to the goth club when I was 18 and I'm I'm going to be 38 really soon. So we're talking 20 years ago. And I've always just been able to be like, oh, I'll walk up to these people, see what they're talking about. Not interested. I'll float on over here. Oh, okay. This, this is interesting. I will join this conversation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I know it's something I've mentioned almost as much as Neil Breen over the last few weeks in <laughs> my, my, my Patreon. And the reason I'm going to bring this up is because with all of these potential anxieties in mind that players might have, I understand why something like Start Playing might be intimidating. I do, however, still advertise it as a wonderful place to meet new people as long as you are advertising your game as being for people new to the game. Uh, I sure. think you can you can find a great deal of commonality and, and almost, I guess mutual sympathy with each other for not all understanding the system, not all, you know, getting it immediately. Essentially, you're all reading a book at the same time and learning it as you go. So when one of you makes a mistake, another one of you can correct. But anyway, I think that is a wonderful aspect of Start Playing that you can advertise that. But someone came to me recently, one of my Patreons, and said, I think I've worked out why your Patreon is so popular. I, and I was hoping, and I didn't invite this, and I thought... Oh, Matthew, your Patreon has the yes, uh, uh, <laughs> runaway freight train. Well, no, no, uh, I know it sounds it sounds egotistical, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but it, it was just funny based on our last episode. <laughs> because, undoubtedly, I... So, what I was basi basically being told was, I'm signed up to several Patreons where people run games. However, yours draws oh. a lot more... Um, customers than anyone else I know and I thought well that's nice and they said I think I've figured out the reason why and it's not because you run games well though you do <laughs> it's um, not because you're good <laughs> but you know I can accept that because people from the outside aren't seeing how I'm running my game and that's actually you, fair yeah right you have to sign up to to figure that out they said it's because you have an air of celebrity or minor celebrity in the RPG industry because you made videos for 10 years and you've been developing games for, you know, five years or whatever it was. And therefore, a lot of your customers have a parasocial relationship. Oh, yeah, 1000%. Because you have put yourself on YouTube and because you were on a podcast, you're on lots of actual play podcasts. People assume they know you and they trust you based on your reputation or the way oh. you portray yourself uh, in in the this other media. So they uh -huh. sign up with a certain ease, even though they may have the same uh, paranoia and anxieties that other role players and people in general have about starting a game with someone they've never played with before. They just think, well, I know this person. He'll be fine, and it's it's a 
it is a weird thing to think that people are signing up to play games because they think they know me. Because they think, think I'm, I'm a friend. <laughs> um, think you fucking know me? <laughs> yeah, I soon put pay to that. Um, <laughs> and it's something I've occasionally had to balance, that idea that sometimes someone will sign up and they will think they are a closer acquaintance than they are. I'm quite happy mm-hmm. being friendly with my customers, uh, but that doesn't mean you are automatically in my life as more than a customer. And sometimes that will put someone off. Sometimes mm. that will make a customer think, oh, well, I, I kind of signed up to a deeper relationship than <laughs> right. just a transaction. I paid $10 a month to be your friend. Yeah, exactly. And I would charge cases, way more than that for friendship. <laughs> well, in some cases, friendships can certainly develop. Oh, yeah, totally. But I'm not obligated to do so. Uh, yeah i mean i like as, as as somebody who's on a you know obviously very like small podcast so it's very very niche um i i haven't had that really happen too much i mean i've had people like me and eddie definitely have had people like behind us at conventions going like i know those voices and we're like <laughs> you can talk to us then and they don't and that's weird because yeah, uh, i'm not i'm not even slightly famous but as somebody who listens to a lot of podcasts i try very very hard to be aware of the parasocial trap Mm, um, yeah. I am going to a live show of one of my favorite podcasts soon, and I've also found out that the guest that's coming is one of my other favorite podcasters. Oh, and no. part of well, no, I'm excited to go to the show no, no matter what, right? It, it's well, sure. going to be fun. But part of me, because I've heard them talk for hundreds of hours at this point, and also because these are two people who are very open about like their feelings and their anxieties and stuff on their podcasts, mm-hmm. like I want to like recommend a place for them to go get dinner or something because they're coming to my town, right? And I'm like, ha- is it weird if I hang out to like say hi to them afterwards? Is it weird to be like, there's a cool bar over here? Because like I'd love to actually chat with these women. Um, because they're both about my age. We have similar, uh, anxieties and certain, and, and like feelings about a lot of things. And also I, I just find them both really interesting. And I'm like, I would love to sit down with them for like even 20 minutes, but also is that weird? I don't think they're my friends, but I, I, I can't say we don't have stuff in common unless they are lying about everything. Right. Mm. <laughs> and so that is kind of the, and I don't think they are because they're both kind of, they're, their brands are kind of being sincere about themselves. Uh, so yeah, like it is a really hard line to walk. And I, and I, I get that, right? Like I, I completely get why that's difficult um, because especially if people are more open about their personal lives and struggles and things like that, you feel like you know them even better because generally that's what friends do. Yeah. Um, right. I, I open up about that stuff in an, in an attempt to destigmatize mental health issues. But I understand that if I'm sitting here going, like, I struggle with this. I struggle with that. Like, this is a thing that's always been a thing for me. I understand why some people who've also gone through that might want to talk to me more about it, you know? So, yeah, no, it's just a really weird line to walk. The whole, like, parasocial thing. Because it's like, do I know you? Do I not know you? I, I, I know about you, but not in, like, a creepy fan way. I know about you because you put it out there on a podcast that I enjoy, you know? So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a, a system in mind for when you engage with someone okay uh, to whom you are a fan 
And if it is, it, let's uh, let's take your example where let's say you suggest going to a bar and they decide, okay, let's go. And, you know, a place you enjoy and you get the opportunity to sit with them and speak yeah. with them for a while. Which like is a thing that's happened to me at conventions with Onyx yeah. Path fans. Like it's not weird. The, I in in such uh, a situation, I think that the fan is obliged to be switched on to the celebrity's social cues. Yes. Uh, because the celebrity may well feel obliged themselves to keep entertaining this person who has essentially paid to spend time with them or paid to see them live or whatever. And it mm. is also the obligation of the fan to disengage sooner than the celebrity does. Yeah, yeah. I, I could definitely see that. I have I have had conversations with celebrities at like Dragon Con and stuff where I'm always the one who has, who's, who's like, okay, I'm going to go elsewhere now because I don't want you to think that you have to stay here with me, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah, like I, I, I think I'm pretty good about the social parts of it. It's just still like a bit of a dilemma. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I can completely see why. We are 25 minutes in. <laughs> I think it's been a very interesting conversation. Thank you very much to Matthew Dixie and Eddie for <laughs> asking that question about Neil Green and parasocial relationships. It is interesting, though. Move on to episode four of our mailbag next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with the perennial, the the the, the evergreen question. Uh, how's your day going? Ask Zach Rules for the third time in a row, even though he actually only asked it once. We just Being left it on the sheet. Very persistent. I'm just saying, is Zach Rules got some really high value out of asking that question? Yeah. So, uh, Eddie, how's your day going? Uh, I'm gonna be honest. It, it, it's it's been a rough couple of days. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, as uh, we were chatting beforehand, but um, uh, I, I think turns out moving internationally and selling your house and running a Kickstarter may have more of a mental toll than I anticipated. No. <laughs> I'll say you've moved house a couple of times because you were in temporary housing and now Yes, I was in I was in two different Airbnbs for a while there too, and as a ho- as a hotel shut in there too. So I mean, And you have an anxious been... dog. Although she's been getting a lot better actually. We've been easing her off the anxiety pills and she's doing a lot better. I think because she has a lot more green space and dogs are nicer here and she's just generally Are you telling me that British stuff. dogs are nicer than yes. American dogs? Objectively wow. true. Obje- objectively true. Interesting. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay. It has been nice to actually finally start to get something like a routine again. Like, I feel like my past three months have been just, I'm grabbing snatches of time to work in where I could mm-hmm. and being able to actually like, you know, have like an office with a desk and start mm-hmm. to roughly plan out hours. I've still not got it down yet, but I feel like that's getting better and that's been nice. That's good. Matthew, how's your day? I'm doing all right, thank you very much, Dixie and Zach. I think it's the right now. I'm in the midst of red lines on a project called "They Came From," uh, which has dot, been dot, teased. Dot. Yes, it's been teased on the Onyx Path blog, uh, but uh, we haven't announced its content or contents just yet. That will come in in time, very short order, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's been very enjoyable to work on that and some of the strange and wonderful. Uh, playable and antagonistic elements in this book, he says vaguely. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how we roll. We have to keep things under wraps. Uh, <laughs> and how about you, Dixie? How was your day? Oh, it's, it's going okay. Uh, as I as I always say on this one, I'm like I haven't been awake that long compared to you two. <laughs> like yeah. I have a I have a coffee. It's it's good. It's 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 almost gone as of the conversation. I have a water. Um, I also saw a TikTok recently about being someone who needs three drinks all the time. 
to yes. be alive. And that's just a TikTok about me at this point. Like one <laughs> is for hydration, one is for caffeination, and one is for fun. Um, <laughs> I will post the link to the TikTok in our show notes because it actually is exactly how I operate all the time. It, it, it just sounds like this one is to keep me alive. This one is to keep me awake. And this one is actually one I enjoy. I mean, yeah. Just all of those be one drink. Because because some things that are are caffeinated and that are I enjoy aren't water. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when our friend Justin Achille uh, mentioned at one point that if you are the kind of person who likes to go working outside the home, uh, so in cafes and such, one of the best places you can go is a bar. Yeah. Uh, not not just because of the ready supply of booze, which isn't necessarily conducive to a good working day, but because there's there tends to be a better atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can yeah. reward yourself with a cocktail at the end of the day. Yeah. And you can also buy your teas and coffees generally for a lower cost than you will in a coffee shop. But, yeah. um, you know, one cocktail a day, unless your liver is already damaged, is probably not going to kill you. I'm not speaking with the uh, backing of any kind of health organization. here. <laughs> uh, but it's good to have a fun drink. It's good to have something that isn't just, you know, you could have a fun dessert or you could have a fun drink. So yeah. it's nice to have a fun drink. I mean, I, I've definitely worked out of bars before, especially when I was living in Connecticut, because I, I could walk downtown. Um, and there was, there was one time when my power was out, and I needed to finish an editing project. It was before I was on full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I kind of said, like, hey, bar that just opened, because they had just opened, like, like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. or something. I was like, can I come sit there for a couple hours and work? Is that weird? Because uh, I, I knew all the people that worked there. And they were like, mm-hmm. no, it's fine, as long as we're not, like, you know, ridiculous busy or taking up too much space. And I was like, cool um so i came down there but at the time i didn't have like a portable nice little work laptop i had a gaming laptop mm-hmm. oh, it was the only laptop i had so i had to haul my like you know 17 and a half inch screen yeah <laughs> giant laptop down there. Pounds, yeah. yeah all of them were like why is your laptop so big and i'm like well it was my gaming machine for a long time it's not anymore <laughs> but it's what i have um but yeah like i i, I had to haul that, that, that down there but you're absolutely right i got a lot of work done uh, when I was getting near the end of my work, I, I I ordered like a hard cider, something that wasn't like super alcoholic, but that I could mm. sip on, and it was nice and refreshing, and it was a it was a good time. And I I generally do prefer to work at a bar than a coffee shop, uh, if if that's open to me. It, it it's actually funny is I have a, a slightly different perspective because I, mean, I agree with you actually. I, I I have worked in bars. In fact, I remember um at one point in uh, when I was behind uh, I was working on Monarchy's Mal and I was still living in Ireland and I got a lot of work done in a pub that was right down the street from me. But my mom was a bartender while I was growing up and she was she was a single mom at the time. So there were times where she had to pick me up from school and would take me to the bar and I would do my homework at the bar. Yeah. While she was getting things ready and sorting things out. So I internalized very quickly oh yeah this is a place where you can get work done weirdly i have a similar background but it's because my mom worked in a bowling alley that had a oh bar. oh <laughs> so i used to also hang out in a bar or in or like at at the snack bar or near the bowling people um to the point where bowling is still like a nice background noise for me like i have nice. i have no problem with bowling as a background noise because it's fairly consistent it's not super loud if you're not sitting like right next to it Mm-hmm. Um and it's 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 kind of you know rhythmic in an, an interesting way. Yeah, people don't tend to get too rowdy while they're bowling either. It's. Uh... I mean, I have, but it was at like midnight bowling <laughs> when there were drinks involved. Right. Whereas my mum uh, worked as a cleaner, and so 
when I had to go with her to do my homework, she she cleaned a school. So I would leave school and then just go to another school. (laughs) 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 I do my homework at a foreign desk. Um. <laughs> I mean, that's probably why you're so much more disciplined than either Eddie or I. Maybe that's, that's totally it. Maybe that is it. That's you're all like, I had a quiet day at school, and I'm going to have a quiet time what, doing my homework at a different school. school? <laughs> Whereas me and Eddie were like, yeah, we were at bars. There were drunk people. It was a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, learned how, I learned how to play pool when I was like. I, oh. I also played pool and hung out in the arcade <laughs> section of the bowling alley because it had like a little arcade. That is where I played primal rage my dinosaur video game that i there can't stop go. talking about and it that's all where, comes and back I, around and while you were doing that i learned latin so you know it's uh... <laughs> i learned about the best character combinations in the x-men arcade game <laughs> now see that that that's primal spun and also the ninja turtles game and also pinball uh for the record and i do not know latin there was a jukebox it, it, it was a it was fun um but i wasn't allowed to go to the arcade part until i had finished homework so you know so you know School, bar, arcade. That's just my life as a child. <laughs> right. Well, that's one question answered. So right? Again, exact rules. Again. <laughs> you, you've taken up 32 minutes, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so C asks, is there any chance of seeing new Cavaliers of Mars content, uh, whether books or actual plays or what have you? Uh, I personally uh, have, I, I, I guess, the actual plays happening. It's not really a thing that we make happen it's more a thing that people come to us so if anybody wants to drink mm-hmm. cavaliers of mars i would love to see it yeah, yeah. And i know rose bailey would too um but since cavaliers of mars is a creator-owned project i do believe yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 it's kind of on rose to yeah to and she's things. been doing a bunch of other stuff through her fantasy heartbreaker label recently um yeah and it's all really good i if you like cavaliers of mars i recommend that you go look at rose's stuff on drive through rpg including beautiful anomalies musical um, secrets that's okay. Thank you for saying that one because I was like the Castlevania one. <laughs> <laughs> All of her stuff is really interesting. It's really innovative. Like Rose is one of those people who she's a very close friend of mine and and of my boyfriend's, and she'll talk to us all day about game design and like oh, yeah. the fiddly bits of game design that I don't even completely understand. Uh, she's like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this system to mess with this thing, and what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know, but it sounds cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's she's doing a lot of really really cool stuff. Yeah, no. Um, in fact, um, uh, uh, I've even written on a couple of those. Um, and one of my favorite things is for the the, the, the time travel game you're mentioning. Um, Beautiful anomalies. Uh, yes, she was like, uh, I need some enemies. I don't know what what to come up with. Um, and so uh, uh, I, I came I came up with uh, Quantum Quattle, um, General Quantum okay. Quattle, uh, who is a time traveling dinosaur soldier. Well, I I love him. And, and 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 it was just so much fun because it was just like I punch things like that. That's all. Everything was like I punch it. I punch it. I punch it. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, Here, here's the name. It's it's a gag, and she's like, I love it. So like, okay, cool, great. So yeah, um, you're right. If if you like Cavaliers of Mars, if you're looking for more like that, you're probably better served right now to go check out Rose's pr- private imprint stuff. Yeah. Um, but dangerous I mean, you know, to go alone. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I know Rose has you know noodled maybe doing more Cavaliers of Mars stuff, but I also know that Rose very much wanted Cavaliers Mars to be kind of like a one and done thing. Like, there's a couple extra books that came out of the Kickstarter, but really, I think Rose was like you know, kind of more or less, I want to do a thing. I did the thing. I'm happy with the thing. 
Yeah, and that's that's kind of how she tends to work in general. Is that if you yeah. look at most of her books, she'll like she she did Bright and Terrible, she did uh, Princess of the Universe, um, all, all all kinds of cool stuff. And generally, she'll she'll put a book out, and then she'll kind of leave it alone. Maybe she'll do like a supplement, and then she might come back and do a second edition later. Um, and I, I realize this is the Onyx Pathcast, but we love Rose Bailey over here. Obviously, she worked for Onyx Path oh, yeah. for many, many years. Uh, she still does some work with us. Obviously, she took on some development work on Kith and Ken recently, for instance. Yeah, she helped. She helped me out of the pickle with, uh, with Realms of Pugmire and did some development work for me. So, and if you want to talk to Rose Bailey about Cavaliers of Mars, the channel on our Discord for Cavaliers is great, and she is there. Like, yeah. I love when people talk about Cavaliers because I love Cavaliers. I wrote on one of the, one of the supplements from the Kickstarter. Um, I've been a fan of it for years. Uh, when Rose couldn't make a panel at Gen Con due to some unforeseen circumstances, I had to step in and be Rose along with Megan Fitzgerald yep. <laughs> to talk about Cavaliers of Mars. So I feel like I've been hyping it since before a lot of people knew what it was. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, I am. I am definitely anyone wants wants to do an actual play. I highly endorse that. I would love to see one um as far as other books go that's up to rose and and also you know obviously our creative direction uh but check out her other work too because if you if, if if you like her work uh rose bailey's brain is a tremendous uh playground to run around in. very much so yeah i love getting to hype my friends on the podcast that makes me happy mm. um <laughs> so uh qualia asks if profitability were no object so we're not worried about money what kind of game would you each pitch? Like, what is your, I guess, what is your fantasy heartbreaker? Like, what is the thing that you would make if See, you didn't have to worry about, like, sales? That's, here's, uh, yeah, here's no, you problem, go ahead. Like, Isn't it Pugmire already? Oh, well, yeah, it's like, for, for years, it was, it's a Transformers role-playing game. Oh, wait, that now exists, right? And then it was the, oh, I'd do a game about D&D &D Dogs. Oh, wait, I've done it. So, like, most of those I've already kind of done. Um, But, I mean, and there are games that I don't think will, do massively well, but I, I've pitched one or two of them to Rich already. Yeah, see, so we, we, we we can talk about those if we're actually going to pitch them. So what is just right. something wild, maybe even like a licensed property that you know you're not going to ever get? And that if you, think you did, would cool? it would be on something like 10% of all proceeds go to you, the rest goes to the license-owning company. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, obviously my answer would be Sailor Moon. Right, right. I would mm. love to do a new version of a Sailor Moon role-playing game. Uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for the one from 2000, obviously. I, In our our, our, our Chaos game, I made my OC Do Not Steal character uh, because right. I thought that would be hilarious. I am a big fan of Sidereals, partially because of their similarities to some of the Sailor Scouts. Um, I would love to do like a, a legit Sailor Moon role-playing game. And or or a Shira based on the new property. Hmm. Now I realize that you can use those themes and make other games, and I'm not saying that I'll never do that. But right. it would be cool to play in the actual like licensed Sailor Moon toolbox, especially since the 2001 was very like American, obviously, and based on the American artwork and stuff like that. And I've always thought the manga and watercolor artwork for Sailor Moon was so beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. And they brought it back for Sailor Moon Crystal. They actually like, kind of like made the manga style and not the anime style. Oh, and wow. I would love to... Yeah, yeah. If, if anybody watches Sailor Moon Crystal, all the designs are based on the manga. Not the watercolor part of it, but like the actual line work and the delicacy of it and the way that their faces are shaped and things. Um, so I, I prefer that because if you watch Sailor Moon, the, the American... Well, the, the original anime that we got in America. Um, yeah. It was on an American version, but you, you know what I mean. Right, the American right. version is the live action one and that one's just weird. Um, 
but like they all look really similar and you get a little bit more diversity in the art in in the manga and also the storylines are a bit more adult it's it's, mm. it's not like a straight up like show for little kids mm. uh so that's you know if you've heard me on here you've heard me talk about this stuff there's tons of video games I would love to play around and role-playing games for. For all I know, somebody's already out there making them and they're under an NDA. I have no idea. Know that if I don't get to work on an official Sailor Moon or She-Ra game, if it ever happens, I will be purchasing it and probably playing it. <laughs> right. For me, uh, I, I've got a few answers. Uh, one is a game I've got in my back pocket that I know won't be profitable, but I am intending on making at some point. Uh, and I will probably go via some self-publishing option. I I can't imagine I'm going to be pouring tens of thousands of pounds into its creation, yeah. uh, but uh, I I can't imagine I would find a company that would want to do it for me, uh, so I can't talk much about that one. Um, I would, in terms of games that I theoretically could find a company to support, I would like to make a Street Fighter-esque game uh which has uh, i know we obviously dabbled in that kind of thing because we did nwe for aberrant so we did wrestling uh there's something i have always very much enjoyed about the colorful nature of characters in these sort of beat-em-ups and combat games like street fighter mortal kombat virtual fighter tekken and so on and primal rage of course uh, but more so Killer Instinct, I'd say. <laughs> Sorry, Dixie. Um, I've always been a big fan of those games, and the biggest challenge and the reason I don't think a game like that would be terribly profitable is because by their nature, they are not cooperative games, and role-playing games tend to be, at least in principle. So Yeah, that's games... kind of my issue with my beat-em-up pitch Yeah, our, our, our pitches episode. Yeah, yeah, where where you've got to fight another character, it generally means either the rest of the player characters are sort of in the sidelines, or you'll fight, or it's PvP. So I right. can't imagine it would be a big seller, but I've got an idea in my mind and a system that could be used for it that I've kind of semi-devised, which I think is workable. The other thing, and this is the big uh, white whale, I think was the term used in the last episode, uh, is... Most any Konami property. I've always been a big Metal Gear fan. I've always thought Metal mm-hmm. Gear would be a wonderful game to turn into an RPG, the universe of it. If you ever get the license for that, my boyfriend will uh, kill people ahead of him to be able to work on that. <laughs> well, the, the characters in it, usually the boss characters, have special abilities. So right, right. it's... Uh, part trinity part godlike if you want to look at that game in that they are sort of super soldiers but you have a psychic one you have a super strong one you have a hyper sniper you've got all these various talents. hyper sniper uh yes that's what they're called in godlike that's a great freaking name hyper um, they always have some kind of special ability that relates to their combat uh, ability usually, and I think that's something easily transferable into an RPG, if you were a squad of such operatives. Uh, But I also know Konami are very tight with their license, and I don't say that Mm -hmm. in a critical way, they just don't like other people playing with it. For for quite a while, for the last few years, they've been reticent to release video games. They went fully into Pachinko instead. Yeah, and to the point of cancelling games, and I think they are now just opening the door slowly to doing some remasters. 
uh, of older games like the Silent Hills. So it's, uh, yeah, not something I could ever see happening. But if I had the opportunity and money was no object, I would love to to work with some Konami mm-hmm. licenses. Ra- random bit of information, but um, I don't know if they still exist, but around 2013 and 2014, there was a World Darkness Pachinko game. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Yes, because CCP needed money really badly. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that. Uh, okay. Eddie, do you have anything you want, you want to say? You wanted to say, like, you did Pugmire, you did some pitches, you're good. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about it, but the only thing that pops to mind is I would actually like to take a swing at Vampire Hunter D. Oh, that um, would be cool. Because it's, it, I mean, it, it, it's been wheelhouse, right? It's like, it's horror, but also it's post-apocalyptic. It's a little bit of sci-fi. So, like, it's kind of Pugmire plus World Darkness in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's just kind of a weird, creepy world. And so I think it'd be fun to dig into that as a role-playing game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that would be a lot of fun. I bet seen the vamp- they, like first game by vampire hunter d in probably almost 20 years i've actually um about six months ago uh they did there's a huge humble bundle of like 22 of the novels on epub mm-hmm. um and so i i was i was binge reading them late last year and and they're very formulaic i mean don't get me wrong they're they're much like the pulp things that they're trying to emulate which is the here's the same plot over and over again right but you know the the the, the weird details of the world just are really compelling and I was just like, yeah. And so I kept seeing myself going, I can run a game of this. So, it, it, so I think, yeah, that would be one I would like really dig do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So I'm going to skip around a little bit here because we have a series of what I think are super interesting Pugmire world building questions. Okay. And I want to save those to the end so we can just sail out of here on the realms of Pugmire ship. Okay. Um, so let's get through the next couple as quickly as we can because I don't want this to go for like, you know, order. two hours. Uh, uh, Troy asks, what piece of writing was the hardest for you to write? Um, and conversely, what was a bit of writing that was a lot easier to do than you thought? I mean, Bugmire was definitely a lot easier for me. Yeah, yeah. In terms of easiest writing, it's always been Vampire for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm leaning more into they came from these days to the extent that even when I run games, I find it difficult to not just laugh at my own content uh, even when it's supposed to be deeply serious um the hardest thing i've ever had to write is and i'm not going to name the game it's not an onyx path one uh because it's probably my deepest disappointment as oh a no okay uh, i think everyone has got some work they look back on and sort of wince a little uh, some have more than others, and not because it's bad necessarily, but because imposter syndrome is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't tend to suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm very arrogant, and so <laughs> oh, oh, no. I never would have guessed. Uh, I am. I'm confident in what I can do, or what I there can do go. well. And that's this, arrogant with different words, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but this this was a game that I wasn't terribly interested in. It was an assignment I wanted because I needed. I felt like I needed the credits and I needed the money. And so it was a job I picked up. And mm-hmm. it's a job that I believe when I was working on it, I did the very best I could. I didn't half ask the job, mm-hmm. but I know that I really struggled with it because the setting material just didn't appeal to me. The rule system didn't appeal to me. And by the end of it, I thought, well, I think that's the best I can do. Mm-hmm. but I'm still not really proud of it. Uh, I'm not proud that this is what I'm submitting. 
I hope I get some good red lines back <laughs> uh, and some guidance. And I'd spoken to the developer during the process and vented my my worries without being too much of a pain, I hope. And the developer, again, this is partly why everything shall remain nameless, mm-hmm. didn't provide any feedback. And the work that ended up in the book was almost identical to what I wrote. Oh, no. So I was left thinking... Well, partly this is on me. If I was lacking so much confidence in my quality, I should have backed away. It's partly on the developer because the developer should have done their job uh, and either offered guidance or developed the work where it was weak. Or I'm being too critical of myself and the work stands up perfectly well. But I'm of the opinion that I didn't deliver a great piece and it's because in every aspect or every respect the assignment was just not me it, it was like writing in a foreign language and hoping that it made sense a bit bleak, uh, I know. yeah i mean yeah but like it, it's it, it's a feeling that i think a lot of us have dealt with it's okay yeah and i have a similar story i won't reiterate but basically just what matthew said except for the fact i don't think the book's out yet um but uh, i have experience <laughs> in that uh, but um, in terms of just pure grueling writing, hands down, V20. Uh, that was three months well, of my yeah, life. Well, yeah, that back. was also, you wrote like all of it. <laughs> I think it's terrifying. I don't think a lot of people realize that. It's like they look at these big books, like, you know, uh, Mage 20 and Wraith 20, and those are made by a team of people who worked for a year on that book. V20, Rose wrote a chunk of it. Uh, some other people wrote a small chunk of it. Uh, Ian helped me transcribe some stuff that I didn't have to rewrite from scratch. But I more or less wrote 250,000 words by myself for three months. Jesus yeah. Christ, no. Mm-mm. Humans should not write that much. <laughs> I, I barely got through my 30,000 word assignment in like three months. Right. <laughs> like now. I, 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 I was literally doing things like my family would go out to, to dinner, you know, to a restaurant, and I would be taking my laptop and writing at the table. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's 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 unhealthy work life balance. It you don't would, do that would, anymore. Just just so everybody knows. Like there's a yeah. thing that we would ask of anybody. No, I and to be fair, no one asked me to do that kind of work. I I I took it on myself. Um oh, so I you were just having terrible work life balance. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, I made some poor decisions and, and and I'm proud of those poor decisions, but I would never do them again. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that for me, um this is more of just like a what is hard for me to write versus not i i i really enjoy writing um i do best with clear direction on what i'm supposed to be writing and i also do best when i'm writing a little bit more academically than plot heavy um i'm not great at resolving plots on my own that's why like i can run a game because my players are part of the story right yeah but like writing a short story like if there is some writing I would never want to show anybody, it's my assignments for my short fiction classes in college. Um, poetry, fine. I-, I will show you the poetry, you know. Any essays I wrote, probably dated because it was over 10 years ago. But still, like, the writing is technically sound, I'm sure. Um, so when I-, when, I- when I do what is really technical writing, which is it's, it's even things like writing the underworlds for Scion, right? Because even though it's based in myth and there's some fantasy elements and stuff like that, what I'm doing is I'm going through, I'm looking at the myths and I'm presenting information to the players and, and, and story guides and going like, here's right. what this place is like. Here is what you will encounter in it. 
maybe don't go to this place. It's bad, you know? Um, so that's, that's the easiest for me. It's if I have super clear direction as to what somebody wants, mm. uh, where I struggle is when like I have, I have, I've written some fiction that I'm not super proud of for one of our books. It's, it's not terrible, but it's not like amazing in my opinion. Um, and I've also like written, you know, stat blocks that I thought were hilarious. Like if I go back and read my writing from beyond the grave, I, I, I have, I have laughed out loud rereading it. And so I am, I am proud of that. Cause I'm like, clearly I said something that I thought was funny and that I continue to think is funny even after I've forgotten about it and gone back to it. It's like watching a movie where you know all the punchlines and you still are like, hey, that's funny, even yeah. though you know what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, for, 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 for me, it's a matter of, of how much direction I have. I'm always happy to ask for more direction, which is good. Like, I mean, I've, I've talked this before, but on my anima draft, like I, I, I did a third draft for Eddie because I was kind mm -hmm. of like, I'm beating my head against this. Can you give me a bit more direction? And Eddie right. did. And then I think what I turned in was great. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. very happy with it. Um, the only reason that I'm not putting Pugbyer up there on the easiest or, you know, what, what have you is because it wasn't my first mechanical work. And so I had to think about it a lot harder than I did about, you know, working on, like I said, uh, demigod, for instance. Yeah. Because there's very few mechanics in my demigod section. It's more just like, here's a place. Here's how you get to the place. Here's some people for the place. Enjoy the place. And then other people wrote the birthrights and things for it. Like, I didn't actually write those. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's me. Uh, yeah. So, Julian asks, can we get more information on, on interactions between different game lines? And they specifically call out a bunch of Chronicles of Darkness game lines. Um, so, I'm assuming that is where the question is headed. Well, and boy, I, have I got the book for you. I was going to yeah, say, right. uh, Matthew, you want to pitch that book? Well, uh, speaking of grueling assignments uh the contagion <laughs> chronicle that one was uh, just fiddly yeah uh yeah i'm surprised in fact i didn't mention it uh the contagion chronicle is the big book of crossover which for a while i pitched as a book called crossing over which thank god that name wasn't uh adopted. with with is it anthony edwards he's, uh, he's, he's the crossing <laughs> over guy it was gonna have some ghostly theme before it became <laughs> contagion so you know uh either way goose wasn't involved in this uh, or Dr. Green from ER. And yes, it's a game where there is a central meta plot, if you like, or a present threat, which takes many different forms across different settings, which you can. John here, Edward. Was John not Edward. Ant not Anthony Edwards, though. Listen, I don't remember. Names <laughs> John Edward is a TV psychic, isn't he? Things. Yeah. yeah, but he had a show called Crossing Over. Yes, yeah, so I, I have a relative who believed all of that bullshit oh, no. when John Edward was. Uh, was spouting it out. But anyway, anyway uh, the Contagion Chronicle is a game for Chronicles of Darkness that supports all of the playable character types in Chronicles mm -hmm. uh, in a way that allows them to complement each other mechanically as well as meta-wise. And it doesn't strive through some mechanical feat to balance them. It basically instead strives to give them all purpose in a game where they mutually appear, which I think is a more, well, I found was a more workable objective than somehow trying to make vampires as strong as mummies, for instance. Um, it uh, is a game that has had a number of supplements released for it as well. Uh, if you haven't picked them up already, the Player's Guide is a fantastic 
uh, book that does go into the more of the mechanical heft of how to make vampires, werewolves, mages, and so on complement each other. And basically, what would this um, rote do to a werewolf or right. similar? Uh, Global Outbreaks presents a silly number of fresh settings, antagonists, story hooks, and, uh, you know, chronicle starters. And the upcoming... Uh, oh, and there's a jump start for Contagion Chronicle as well, so you've got a full adventure. And we've got a ready-made characters book coming up as well, so that if you need player characters, you don't know where to start, there is literally going to be a player character for every single one of the Chronicles of Darkness game lines, and you can just run it straight from that. Uh, it's a wonderful set of crossover books for Chronicles of Darkness. So there you go. Oh, and Dark Eras 2. Dark mm-hmm. Eras 2 is, by its uh, foundation, a crossover book because every single era has multiple uh, playable character types in and they generally interact with each other most mm-hmm. of the time in a way that doesn't put them immediately at odds. So this isn't a... Nice. Masquerade, apocalypse, conflicts, you know, right. uh, by design. This is how come changelings and um, I don't know, primordials work together in the same group. Mm-hmm. How can we be friends? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, got our last couple questions here. Uh, Sir Dan87 asks With the recent success of Scion Books for Dragon and Mythos, what do you have planned next for modules, projects, or other series you like to tackle? Uh, I will go ahead and say, as we said before, we can't talk about things we haven't talked about, obviously. But we have um, plans for Scion. We do. <laughs> right, we, we, do have, we do have plans for Scion. Um, I will say that um, uh, we are working on support material for Dragon and Mythos. There's going to be companions. Mm-hmm. Well, well, companion for Dragon. Uh, the companion for Mythos can actually get folded into the Mythos books to make Mythos book even bigger. Uh, um, but we're also going to have, like, VTT tokens for them and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean... We, we still want to do more with Scion, um, but yeah, we can't really talk about it yet. Maybe we'll talk about it at Onyx PathCon. We'll see. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how far along we are. Yep. Right. We always... I I like love and hate these questions because I'm like, I want to tell you, but I can't tell you, but yeah. there's, there's stuff happening, but it hasn't been announced yet. We don't talk about things that aren't announced generally. Yeah, but hopefully yeah. it's reassuring to you, Scion fans, that there are things in the works. Yeah. Just, yeah God is will, not the end. Yeah, yeah we will uh, tell you when we're good and ready, damn it. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. And now we have a fair amount of Pugmire, Realm Pugmire world building questions that I find Yes, no, no, yes, maybe, and no. Okay, done. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to condense these a little bit uh, just yeah. to make them make sense. Uh, Ark asks, how's the... This, these are all from Ark. Ark loves Realm Pugmire. So just, we're going to talk about Pugmire for a few minutes. A minute. And that's okay. Uh, how's the weather in Pugmire? You've got, you know, monsters, mutants, giant bugs, etc. But does acid sea equal acid rain? Are there environmental effects, etc.? Uh, no, um, I mean, you, you have your normal environmental effects and there can be weird magical stuff. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, something that I, I, I kind of have to reinforce every once in a while is that it, this is not post-apocalypse. It's post, 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 post-apocalypse. Um, yes, there's it's, an acid It's definitely more to- adventure time than anything else. Right, exactly. Like weather-wise. Um, so yes, there's an acid sea because pollution doesn't go away very fast. Um, but there's not like... 
uh, uh, devastating weather patterns, unless it's creatively interesting for your game. I mean, if, if you right. want to have a hurricane or a tornado or whatever, or just you know, raining frogs, feel free to do that. Um, uh, and, and certainly Pugmire allows for that kind of stuff, but it's not an, an explicit part of the game. It, it, it's meant to f- feel more like a, 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 a traditional adventure uh, setting. Yeah, I, I definitely think, especially if you go in the desert with, like, the serpents and lizards and stuff, like, you could definitely, you know, have sandstorms and things. It would make oh, sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you're doing a mountain adventure and an avalanche is perilous, that's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think what a lot of people don't always quite wrap their heads around is that the acid sea is not, like, hydrochloric acid. No, no, no. Like, it's, just, it's just polluted. It is, it is acidic in that it will hurt you eventually. But if you read the effects, especially in Pirates of Pugmire... Um, both on boats and on people. Like, if you drop someone into the acid sea, they're not going to immediately just, like, dissolve. <laughs> no, it's are, more like... Yeah. If you read contemporary accounts of going into the Thames in Victorian England, mm-hmm. um, and people talk about how at the, if they try to swim, uh, they would develop uh, uh, lesions and blisters on their skin, that kind of stuff. That's more what it's supposed to be. Right. So, yeah, it is... It, it is an acidic sea. They call it the acid sea because it's certainly not fresh water. Um, right. But for all we know, part of what they're referring to is just the fact that it's salt water too. You know, mm-hmm. like they're they're dogs and cats. They're not. They, they don't have all the knowledge. All um, knowledge. So the acidic sea might might just be the water that we can't drink in some places. You know. Yep. I mean, uh, it, it does, I mean, we, I did say that it does wear away wooden hulls. That's where the, the plastic comes in. Uh, but again, that's over like weeks and months. Not like you put the boat in and immediately dissolves. Right, exactly. Um, now, this is a, the next couple of questions I do want to dig into just a little tiny bit, but I will say that the answer to both of them can be that the process of, of, of uplifting changed their DNA. Right. Uh, but someone asked, like, how to uplift the animals keep getting overheated um, because of dogs and cats and their inability to sweat, essentially. Um, uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and you're right. It, it is um, uh, uh, when they're uplifted, they, they've changed because um, uh, I talked about this a little bit in the setting secret episode, uh, but um, uplifting generally wasn't accidental, at least at first. Yeah. Uh, humanity uplifted them for very specific reasons. And the, one of the reasons is to allow them to exist better in the same spaces that humans were in. Uh, and so... If you say make a uh, police dog that can actually you know talk and arrest people, you don't want them. You want to be able to allow them to wear clothing that they protect themselves with, and you don't want them to keel over because they overheat. I'm sitting here like a cab includes police dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually um, uh, I discovered there is a uh, old cartoon called Dog City, like the 90s, and the main character is like a police detective in a trench coat and fedora, and just like that's and that's nice. what I picture every time I say this. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. So in that case, it's like, they have been rearranged in some way to prevent this, but also to be blunt, it's, it's a D and D setting and you want them to be wearing cool clothing. And so mystery science theater rule applies, I think to a degree. Oh man. I remember dog city. I just looked it up. <laughs> yeah. Right. I definitely <laughs> watched this. It was a freaking, uh, Henson production. It was, it was one of those cartoons that like I had completely forgotten about and I saw it again. And it's like just random bits that are flooding back to me. And I'm like, oh it my had, God, I do remember this vaguely. It had Ralph the dog in it. So it's like. Oh, I, man. Also a character like, named Sherlock Bones voiced by Andrew Dice Clay. 
Yes, if it's like if I had remembered this, I probably would have added it as an inspiration of Bugmire, but I didn't oh remember it until just last week. I was like, oh yeah, this thing existed. Yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna go find this. Um <laughs> But yeah, like parts of the question also included like what do magic boots look like? Like do they have specially made boots for they have the same kind of clothes that like we have. So if they need more rugged boots for more rugged terrain, I'm sure they can get those made. Not the exact same that we have, obviously, but the same that we would have had in, like, I don't know, 1400. Well, I mean, one, a, a digression to this, but a good one, I think, is that Rich and I actually spend a lot of time talking about dog clothing specifically and dog armor. Yes, and there's a lot um, of it in the art, and it's all stuff that we have actually thought about. Yes, because, like, for example, the knees bent differently, and it's something that even this time around, um, Rich and I were going through getting the art for um, the Kickstarter um, and Rich more often than me would be like, hey, their knees are bending the wrong way. They're closing mm -hmm. in a certain way. So, I mean, like, we have certainly thought about this. Um, and also, like, uh, if you look closely at a lot of their armor, there are not many shots of armor from the back. But, like, you usually see, like, there's a small bit of armor over the end of the tail to make sure the tail doesn't get cut off. Um, so, things like that and, like, how the armor gets there. But also, on the flip side, like, Leo's, Leo Bulldog's ears poke out of his helmet because that's just cute. And yes, that's a terrible <laughs> idea to, to have your ears poke out of your helmet because it's supposed to be protecting those. But it's like, okay, that's just a cute little image. And um, also the way bulldog ears fold, you can't really collapse them under the helmet. Um, so it, it, it makes a little more sense to kind of holes in it. So like, but some, but a fair chunk of it is just like, you know, again, you want something that approximates the anti clothing. We have thought through the logic of it, but not to the extent of this is exactly how their biology has changed to accommodate it. Right, because I mean, if you look at the, the art, there there are some ducks that are wearing boots, like uh, the yep. the guardian corgi illustration. Mm -hmm. He's got big old armor boots on, and yep. that's fine. That's that's what he wears. Like some of the animals wear shoes, some of them don't. Some of them wear them sometimes. It's up to them. It's it's not any of these biological concerns. Like oh, dogs can't sweat, they can't wear this. Like okay, so they they changed that when they uplifted them because they're clearly editing their genes. S similar like um, I have not in this uh, mailbag, but in previous questions i've had people say like you know what about like brachiocephalic dogs or what about um you know feline diabetes and feline aids um and it's like that 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 was inconvenient to humanity's interests so that was just bioengineered out right yeah um because the the last question in the same thing is like you know how about like chocolate like have they rediscovered it um i i don't I, i'm pretty sure that if i so if i had a pet dog right Right. And I was like, I'm going to uplift this dog and make him my friend more than just my pet. I would make it so that he could eat chocolate and drink beer because I think that that would be a great life for a dog. I mean, dogs oh, yeah. can kind of drink beer now, but like I would make it so it, it wouldn't hurt them. Well, I mean, because that's one thing that like is actually a big problem is um, a lot of dog owners will just feed their for pets people food and some of it's actually really bad for them and, mm -hmm. and chocolate's the one that everyone we pop culturally uh got but there's like you know things like uh grapes i believe grapes um, and raisins will shut down a cat's kidneys in like right. tiny doses like you cannot let cats have grapes or raisins uh, to the point where i get nervous when i eat handfuls of raisins near my cat sometimes because i'm like please don't ingest any of this right but you know a lot of people forget that or, or don't think about it so like obviously they would have, um, again, I engineered things so that, okay, okay, now they can eat people food and process it better. I mean, it may not be good for them. They may you know, get uh, gained weight or may mm -hmm. feel unwell, but they won't kill them. Um, but culturally, uh, I, I mean, it's, I haven't talked about a book, but I've seen people, I mean, I've seen people run with this and I find it interesting. Um, again, because the thing about chocolate is so pop culture aware, 
uh, then yeah, it's very impossible that dogs would have run across admonishments about chocolate. And so I personally feel, not can anywhere, but in my head, there are ch- chunks of dogs who think it is sacrilegious to eat chocolate because man told us not to. Or or they they think it's poison and so therefore keep it very far away in a vault because right. they don't want to accidentally ingest it. But I mean, um, there is a throwaway line, I forget which book it is, but there's a throwaway line where way back in the midst of time in the monarchies, when the monarchies were all separate and all the cats were potting each other, cats would slip chocolate in each other's drinks and then be really mad because nothing would happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's 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 something that I I, I love playing with in the world of of, of Bugmire is like uh, currently in in my home game uh, we have characters who decided their names were Waffle and Pancake and that's fine. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, the, sure. But the running joke is that we don't have waffles or pancakes in the realms, so Pancake is just an old family name for the cats. Right, um, it's, exactly. It's actually like a really kind of austere, old fashioned name. Uh-huh. Uh, so whenever another cat meets pancake, they're like, "Oh man, I haven't met a pancake since my great uncle," you know, because um, it's 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 an old fashioned <laughs> name, uh, and that's great. Like they they love that. I love that shit. I love uh, that shit. Waffle is a rat, and his psychic tell is the smell of waffles with uh, peanut butter and applesauce. But we have not yet discovered cinnamon in our game, so he doesn't actually know what the smell is. Uh, it just that's smells amazing. real good. And it smells That's like amazing. Yeah, he can he can identify toasty things. He can identify peanuts, and he can identify apples, but he can't put it together to figure out the dish. And that's kind of his like goal in the game right now is to figure out what the frick he smells like. And so we're you can have so much fun with this stuff, right? Like I have said that yes, they did rediscover pancakes. They just call them uh, flat browns. Nice. Uh, because somebody was like, well, pancakes are a really old thing. I'm like, yeah, they probably know how to make something like a pancake, but they don't call it a pancake. Well, uh, and, and, and some are like, I, I've talked to people in the past, because um, everyone's all run into the why don't dogs understand this thing that we obviously do. And I always kind of point back and it's like, we don't know what ancient Egyptians ate regularly, right? Mm-hmm. We know they had um, beer. Have, That's about it. And bread. Right. We have a couple of guesses, but we don't really know what their diet was like. Um, and then if you look culturally, even just now, having moved from the US to the UK, Things are named differently. Things are put together differently. What it's something can be called like chips, obviously, more, more common example, like that two very yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, Biscuits. But like um, just realizing that uh, zucchinis are called courgettes here and stuff like that. Um, so when you have that kind of disparity and no context for it, food archaeology would be really complicated from my perspective. Yeah. And like, honestly, if you've like, I've read about this for school and stuff before, because I did a paper once on how pretty much every culture has the equivalent of a dumpling or the equivalent of filling wrapped in dough that is handheld. Oh, that is a very like cross-cultural thing, Um, whether it's a pasty or an empanada or like like I said, a like dumpling or a bun of, of, of some sort. Almost every culture has developed that on their own. Yeah, um, because it's a convenient thing to develop, right? Being able to put oh, yeah, Chinese uh, red bean buns. Yeah, yeah, yeah ex- exactly. The, having a handheld thing that you can eat on the go, uh, that is nourishing, is a big thing. So I would find that super interesting if you actually look at real food archaeology and apply some of that to Pugmire, especially with a roughly you know twelfth to fifteenth century mentality. Because generally, right. I consider Pugmire pre-Renaissance when I think about the culture that they are. Yep. Um, they're probably on the cusp of the Renaissance, but they're mm-hmm. pre-Renaissance. They, they just happen to have future tech, which they think of as magic. Um, and, 
And, and yeah. similarly, um, I actually have a friend of mine, um, again, who lives here in the UK, but um, one of the things that he did for a while was he did uh, YouTube videos where he would actually take medieval recipes and re- try to remake them in his kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's it's the there, there's points where he's like, this plant doesn't exist anymore, so I'm going to have to replace it with this kind yep. of stuff. Yeah, I I think one of, my, one of my favorite things to do in Pugmire is to really think about from the animal's perspective, what things would be, right? And mm-hmm. really keep that in mind when you're running a game or playing a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, my players broke some magic bones because they were glowing and they were creepy and the magic was evil. And so they right. broke the bones and I was like, cool, great. So you see like a little wisp of blue come up. And one of my players was like, oh, can't one of the cats like use that to like attune? And I'm like, that's not a, an artifact. And they're like, but all magic is sack. And I'm like, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. As, as far as the cats know, that was just a magic bone. There's there's no artifact that's just a bone. That's silly. Um, So, yeah, like think about that perspective. Think about what humans would have wanted for their uplifted pets when you think about what they can and can't do. Um, Because there's a reason they have thumbs now, you know? Right. So, yeah. There's one last. that helps. Yeah, yeah. And always, I think if, if, if there's any people that are happy to talk about random Pugmire theory in the discord it's probably me and eddie yeah uh because matthew has been conspicuously silent for the past 20 minutes we've been talking about enjoying listening (laughs) but like i think i think eddie has come to me and said that i i probably have thought about this the most aside from him uh because i find it just an interesting thought exercise um it, it is one of the few fantasy worlds that i feel like i have completely wrapped my head around like i feel like i get it and therefore, I think about it a lot, especially when I'm planning a game. And so, like, please feel free to ask these questions. Sometimes the answers might be less satisfying because they might just be like, that's what humans did or no one knows. But right. in that, but if that's the case, make up an answer. Maybe your quest is to find the answer. That's that's exciting. That's that's, that's a plot hook, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I tried very hard to make a world where the rules were understood enough that Every question could have an answer, but that doesn't mean I have the answer or I'm even interested in giving an answer. Exactly. Um, so with all that said, we have one last incredibly important question. Um, we say okay. this one to the last. It, it, it was the last question asked. It was asked right before I, I shut down the sheet, actually. Oh. Um, so she was really waiting for the last second. Uh, but Darby Webb would like to know if she can have a snacky. And I've been thinking about this question for three weeks now. Um, has, has 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 she been staring at you longingly, going for, for three weeks? Yes. Yeah, going. Where is my snacky? Um, but I've decided yes. In the end, thing she's a good girl and therefore can deserve a snacky. Oh well, that's a happy end then. Yeah. What does her be like for a snacky? Um. Well, uh, we actually got some news now. We've been buying these uh, grain-free uh, uh snacks, which have been nice because. My favorite girl's put on some weight. She's lose some weight. Uh, <laughs> Haven't uh, we all in the pandemic? It's okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's really true. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, she really loves fish. Like fish is her favorite thing. She's definitely a, a fish dog. Which is hilarious because uh, my cats don't like fish all that much. Really? That's playing against stereotype. Yeah, they like chicken and steak. So I guess that our animals switch tastes. They 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 are they are definitely your boyfriend's cats. They're, they're my cats. Wait. Two of them are mine. Well, I mean, the, the chicken and steak are very much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, so um, we we actually have uh, this bag of it. it. It's dried Icelandic fish. And it's just like a whole, a whole bunch of these tiny little fish. They're all nice and 
dried and they're nice and crumbly and they you open the bag up and boy you can smell it's fish and she loves the smell of it and i do have one that likes the little like snack sardine things the little dried fish and yeah they fucking stink <laughs> oh yeah they smell so bad and so every time it's like here you go here you go darby and she's like oh this is great and it's like oh God, please close the bag as fast as possible <sighs> all right well yes, darby you may have them. some fish apparently we have we have finally gotten to the most important question of the entire three episode extravaganza that whether or not darby can have a snacky um yep. i am assuming that when she hears this noise she will immediately be upside down um uh, <laughs> and we will post photos of that in the discord as we often do i mean eddie posts important pup dates now now between eddie and d we have really important pup dates happening at all times it's true it's true um i very rarely have cat dates because they they're boring like cats just sit around doing the same thing all the time for the most part so that said um uh uh my family usually has some kind of TV show in the background. We just binge watch a show kind of as a background noise. Um, we just finished up The Office, and so we started watching uh, Next Generation. We just jumped to like season six. Uh, to, you know, like it's good yeah, why not? But that was the arc where there was a, the running subplot of Data trying to teach his cat Spot stuff. Oh, I love Spot. And every time I watch that, I think about all the stories tell me of your cats. <laughs> like the episode of him trying to train Spot to go down, and the cat actor just no selling that whole exchange it was amazing well yeah like i have i i have heard that brett spiner did not like that cat <laughs> apparently that oh, cat really? was a terrible scene partner oh no <laughs> yeah like they've like he just didn't do what they wanted it to do it was not a very well-trained cat um you have just watched the office i i i listened to office ladies the podcast with jenna fisher and angela oh, Kinsey, yeah. um and they talk about the episode where they throw the cat up into the ceiling oh right <laughs> and apparently that like there's a real cat, and then there's a fakey cat, and the fakey cat's the one that gets thrown up into the ceiling, because apparently if you throw a cat up into a ceiling, you can, and I quote, blow out the cat, which means it can't work anymore. <laughs> and so now, whenever me and my boyfriend are messing with our cat, we're all like, careful, you're gonna blow out the cat. Don't, blow don't, 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 don't cat. blow out the cat. So the cat that jumps down is real, and the cat that gets thrown up is like a weird gelatin fur-covered thing that felt very <laughs> uncanny to hold. Um... That is one of my favorite facts I've learned from listening to the Office Recap podcast. Uh, and it's definitely a phrase that gets said way too much in our place. If we're like now holding one of the cats like upside down or something, it's like, you're going to blow out the cat. Now I feel like I should rewrite the Pugmire rules that if you hit zero stamina points, you blow out. All right. Well, this has been in our last supersized episode for this thing, which I'm very excited yeah. about. I uh, thank you all for joining me for, you know, roughly at least 85% of the 250 episodes based on <laughs> where we've all been here and there. Uh, excited to have Danielle along more in the future off and on, especially since we now have two hosts that live in the UK and two hosts that live in the US. Um, yes. So you'll probably hear a lot more D on the podcast in the future. We just want to do this big 250 anniversary with the three of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like definitely expect to have a rotating fourth host. Uh Partially just because time zones are a funny thing to deal with. Uh, so Indeed. yeah, if they want to talk to you about uh, blowing out a cat or Darby getting a snacky <laughs> or uh, raiding V20 by yourself at nice dinners with your family for three months, where would they find oh, you, Eddie? God. Um, yeah, you could find me on Twitter as Pugsteady. It's P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Uh, you can find my website, Pugsteady.com, or you could find me on Discord, where I will actually need to post a picture of Darby pretty soon, so... I mean, to that. you can post pictures of Darby anytime you want. Well, yes, but I feel obligated now. 
<laughs> All right, Matthew, I'm going to talk to you about whatever that project was that you won't talk about. Um, They're not going to get your... many answers, uh, <laughs> but they can certainly try. Uh, if you want to talk to me about the world below, because we've just started teasing parts of it on oh, uh, yeah. the Onyx Bath blog, and we will be doing more of that in weeks to come, uh, find me on the Onyx Bath Discord in the World Below channel or on MatthewDawkins.com or Twitter at DawkinsMP. Yeah, uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at 60cyanide. Uh, that's for social media, and also that's my actual Discord handle with, with some numbers afterward. Uh, but also, I'm just around in the Discord pretty much all the time. Feel free to chat with us. Uh, the Onyx Pathcast channel is a great place to do so. If you go back through the Onyx Pathcast channel from this past week, you will see lots of incredibly obscure Marvel movie references, <laughs> yes. uh, which was fun. Including the fact that there was a Generation X movie that people seem to have forgotten, and also there was a weird pilot for Power Pack that was not good. I watched the whole thing. Um, well, I, to that, we 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 yeah. talked about, briefly about the um, Doctor Strange movie that was made in the seventies. Oh I have God. since found out there was a radio show also made of Doctor Strange, like a fourteen episode radio. Are you drama listening that to no it? No one can find. Oh no, no one can, no find, one can it. find a copy of it. It, oh it, shit! We know it existed because it showed up in newspapers and and people remember doing it, but there are no extant recordings of it. Well, damn! I, I always know, right? love finding out about like lost media. It's so interesting. Like 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 when they found those Doctor Who tapes a few years ago. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, these episodes that we thought were gone forever. There was some random person in a different country that had like a bunch of tapes. Here they are." Uh, and like there not you know. not like VHSs off the TV, like 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 master recordings. It was a whole thing. Uh, so yeah, if you want to talk to us about any of the random shit we talk about, or you know the books we make, which we do enjoy talking about quite a bit, uh, you can find us at the Discord. You can find us on theonyxpath.com, which is always happy to answer questions on the blog. Uh, you can find us on all kinds of social media. And as always, many worlds, one path.